we open our Bibles again to Romans chapter 6, verse 19. This again will be our scripture for this morning sermon. And we'll come back around to it to see a parallel thought Paul gives us in it this evening. So Romans six nineteen this morning and this evening. You might give yourself to uh, reading it yourself, meditating on it, since we'll give ourselves to it morning and evening uh, to be blessed and get, get even more out of it. But this morning we'll look at uh, a clause I want to see and, and a negative concern Paul is bringing to our attention. This evening we'll go back and see a parallel positive solution uh, and uh, where Paul wants to direct us. Romans 6, verse 19, hear now the word of the Lord. I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as ye have yielded your members, servants to uncleanness, and to iniquity unto iniquity, even so, now yield your members, servants to righteousness unto holiness. Now that last phrase, righteousness unto holiness, we'll look at this evening as a positive parallel in building from what we're warned about. But this morning we're going to first look at this warning, iniquity unto iniquity, giving ourselves and our our members as servants or doulos, a servant or a slave to iniquity, does what? It leads us unto more iniquity and the same iniquities and more and uh, a lot of bigger problems that sin can take over us. As we give ourselves to sin, it causes us to sin more. That's, that's the phrase we're going to look at today, this morning, and, and, and think about and recognize this, this, um, this thing that's being identified here. Iniquity unto iniquity. In the... Um, television program called The Midwife. There's an episode where many men were living on the streets in east of London, the east end of London in the 1950s and 60s. Often they might have been veterans or, um, uh, you know, unemployed. And for a long time, they've gotten to this lifestyle of essentially being homeless, walking the streets, but almost walking as if they're dead men walking the way they're acting because of an extreme abuse of alcohol. And not just any kind of alcohol, they were consuming methylated spirits. Methylated spirits, I think, because probably of the ability to get it and the price of it and the extreme high level of alcohol in it. But it's not the kind of stuff you should be drinking, which is why usually there's other things put into it to make you not like the taste. Methylated spirits is a liquid made from alcohol and other chemicals used as a solvent, that is, as a cleaning product, and as fuel for alcohol burners and camping stoves. And they were consuming it. And it, and, and, and it literally eats away at your body on the inside in various manifestations, until it ruins your body on the outside. And there was this troubling scene where one man was found sitting against a wall in the gutter. He had come into the clinic, asked for help. He had a bad limp, but he left, and the midwife had been getting to know him and brings the doctor to go see him. He thinks there's something really wrong. He had a bad limp. You know, it's interesting, he never changed his clothes when they encouraged him to take his coat off. He said, it's kind of part of me. Couldn't even really take it off because it, in its filth, was almost a part of him that consumed him and wrapped him in over all this time. With the doctor's assistance, the midwife 
uh, starts to take the boot off of his foot so they can take a look at his leg and his foot. And as she pulls the boot off, his foot comes off in it. Literally dry as a bone. The calf muscle of his leg had been rotting. And they take, took the boot off, boot off and his foot came out in it. It was dry gangrene. There's a dry gangrene. The doctor said this is a dry gangrene caused by the lack of circulation of blood being cut off because of the effects of the alcohol over time. This, this constant consuming of this horrible alcohol and, of course, lack of movement. Here's the thing. When she pulled that boot off and his foot came off, and you see the stump of his leg all dried and rotted as well, here's what was also so troubling. He didn't even notice. He didn't feel a thing. And then when he kind of noticed, he just kind of laughed about it. It didn't trouble him at all. He wasn't worried about it at all. He laughed it off. Not long after, he died in a hospital bed. One viewer, naturally this was troubling, people started talking about it and and, uh, different things on the website. One viewer posted on the internet, she said, watching Call the Midwife and remembering about life as a student in the 80s. I assume she means a nurse. I took a man's homemade dressing off his foot to find six-inch toenails and maggots crawling everywhere. Poor soul, Amputation next day. Beloved, when not addressing sin, it redresses you in more sin and rots away at you. Spiritually, mentally, and physically. We just sang in Psalm 32, verses 3 to 4, David describes the effects of his sins. When I kept silence, that means I didn't stop sinning and I wouldn't repent, I wouldn't deal with it. I was after, if it's not there, I don't want to recognize the effects. But what was happening is my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer. David expresses this dry rot in the soul that affects the feeling of his body because of his unrepentant sin. Now remember, at the beginning, he praises the Lord not having that sin imputed against him. And that's quoted in Romans uh, chapter 4 by Paul as a wonderful thing. Keep that in mind because we're in Romans 6. And yet he's recognizing, as Paul does, you can't think that grace abounds You don't want it to abound in the sense of therefore keep sinning. You have to recognize what sin will do to you. Iniquity unto iniquity. It'll rot you, dry rot your very bones in you. And ruin and rot in your soul. And uh, this is what David is describing until he repents of his sin and changes. Today we focus again on the phrase iniquity unto iniquity. Iniquity, you've given your members of yourselves to uncleanness, to iniquity, unto iniquity. You see, sinning itself makes a person sink into serving sin further, deeper, and farther. I give that to you as the the main idea of this phrase in its context. 
Sinning itself makes a person sink into serving sin further, deeper, and farther with all of its dangerous effects. The word iniquity is something we often use as a synonym for sins and for transgressions. The literal Greek here for iniquity uh, is lawlessness. Lawlessness, uh, the Greek word is anamia, no law. No law. That leads to greater lawlessness. You might say rebellion leads to anarchy. The danger of sinning is that it will make you sin more and make you more of a sinner. It has its own rotting effect. Ruling in and over you ruthlessly. When you choose to sin, you are creating a habit each and every time to say yes again easier the next time. Until you're doing it all the time and you're not even having to think about it. And each time it will get worse in its frequency, it'll get worse in its potency, it'll get worse in its fermented pungency. Matthew Henry talks about the verse this way in this phrase, iniquity unto iniquity. Matthew Henry writes, It is the misery of a sinful state that the body is made a drudge to sin, than which there could not be a baser or a harder slavery, like that of the prodigal that was sent into the fields to swine. Every sinful act strengthens and confirms the sinful habit. To iniquity as the work, unto iniquity as the wages. Sow the wind and reap the whirlwind. Growing worse and worse, more and more hardened. John Calvin talks about it this way. Speaking of iniquity unto iniquity, but he repeats, Paul repeats iniquity twice and in a different sense. But the first, by the first, excuse me, by the first he means plunders, frauds, perjuries, and every kind of wrong. By the second, he means the universal corruption of life, as though he had said, quote, Ye have prostituted your members so as to perpetrate all wicked works, and thus the kingdom of iniquity became strong in you. We lie to ourselves and we lie to others, speaking sin's lies when we, can say, when we say, I can stop at any time. Isn't that what people often say? You've got to stop. Oh, I have control of this. I, don't, I have control. I can stop at any time. You're not. It's taking control of you. To the point where you become, what are the kind of words that Paul talks about also in the letters to the epistle, the epistles, his epistles? He talks about a number of people known by their sins to the point that they are identified as that sin. By the way, he doesn't say alcoholic. He says drunkard. You keep drinking all the time, you get to the point of that sin taking you over you as an evil habit, not an addiction in terms of a sense of you don't have any control over it's part of who you are. No, it's addiction that is you've developed a sinful addiction that is taking over you. 
to the point where you become a drunkard, or you lie so much that you become to the point where Paul says you're called a liar. In fact, what does he say about the Cretans in Titus? They're all known for being liars. Because not only one person, we all start to tolerate it, we all start to lie all the time. That's what we become. We just become inherent liars. Or, what's another one? Fornicators. Constant development of that sin to the point where you're understood and labeled as a fornicator. Not something that you don't have control over so much as you've given control over to it as an addiction. And it'll just keep taking you down and out. Paul is very concerned not to pretend that grace would be used as an excuse for sin. Look at verse 1 of our chapter. Romans 6 verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? What he's doing is he's wanting to make sure to correct us. Don't go the other way. Just as in Philippians we'll see, he talks about, I have everything in Christ, and yet I'm not there. I'm going to keep striving, you know. He wants to qualify and say, look, we're not actually there yet. We have it in Christ, but we're not in heaven yet. We keep striving after and growing in Christ. So here he says, grace abounds. Where sin abounds, grace all the more abounds, meaning grace conquers over it all. But then he wants to say, don't be stupid about it. Don't start goofing around in sin. Oh, grace abounds. No. No, that's not the point of grace. And don't think that sin can't still grab a hold of you in your old man. Look at verse 15. What then shall we sin? Because we are not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. Same thing he says in verse 2 when he asked the question originally. God forbid. Shall we keep sinning that grace can show how abounding it is? Abounding grace? No. Abounding grace is to encourage and bless us so that we won't give ourselves over in despair and sin and not try to keep growing in grace. But it isn't to sin. And it isn't to think that if we give ourselves to sin, it won't have a significant effect on us. More sinning, worse sinning. Among other reasons that Paul is concerned is that rather than grace abounding in its effects, sin will abound in its strong effects if you mess around with it. Sinning will make you a servant, he says to sin. It'll make you a servant that is under its powerful control and rule, inside and out. It'll mess with the way you think. It'll mess with the way you feel. It'll make these habits second nature. You'll have a harder and harder time responding to the supernatural work. Not that it's not there. Not that it can't bring you back, but the danger of getting worse and worse. It, It can rain over you. Look at verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that ye should obey it. In the lusts thereof. Verse 13. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin. But yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead. And your members of instruments of righteousness unto God. It's a verse that's fairly parallel to our verse 19 today. Now look at verse 20 and 21. For when ye were the servants of sin, ye were free from righteousness. 
What fruit had ye then in those things whereof you're now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. Says so the thing is, is when you gave yourselves over to sin, especially as unbelievers, I mean, it just completely was who you were. It was your identity. It was your master. Satan was your master. Sin ruled you. Not just that you were under its guilt, you were under its grip completely. And Christ has saved you from that. So don't act like, don't go back to that. Because its end is death. It's going to drag you down into death. Which is why Paul prays in 2 Timothy, pray for those that God would give them repentance to the acknowledgement of the truth who are being held captive by Satan at his will. And there's that aspect, even for Christians, that have kind of backslidden and gone the wrong way, that they're, they're kind of under, in a sense, this control, this powerful intoxication of sin that is a powerful master. And it'll just keep making you get worse, sinning more and more. Look at verse 23, the first part. For the wages of sin is death. Now we know that's the reality. Thinking back to Romans 3, 23, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. If we don't turn to Christ, we will die in our sins and pay for it ever in hell. You want to talk about a painful experience of sin on your body and your soul there for eternity. But Paul's warning us, don't live a living hell here in the meantime. You're supposed to be living an abundant life in Christ, growing in holiness. Don't bring this dry rot into your life thinking you can play around with sin because of grace. Grace is to help you keep growing in cleanliness and holiness unto righteousness as we'll look at tonight. Don't give yourself to these sinful, evil habits because they lead to death. Oh, it's scary what it can do to your body and mind. You know, sometimes you know someone, and then later you talk to them, you realize that's not the same person anymore. Do you see how their countenance has changed? Their eyes are glazed over. They only have anger in their face, and there's no reaching them. It's a scary thing when you give yourself to wrong thinking, wrong doctrine, wrong practices, wrong influence of the wrong people. What does he say? Don't be foolish. Corrupt communications. Uh, Bad, evil communications will corrupt you. It's a scary thing to be careful about. And go back to chapter 1. We're going to come back here, but go back to chapter 1 with me. Look at the dangers of where sin can take you to death and where it brings you along the way. As if you're just walking along as the living dead, not able to even think or feel the right and holy things anymore. Because you're almost dry rotting from within throughout soul and the body. Romans 1, beginning with verse 21, and we'll read uh, through the end of the chapter. Romans 1, verse 21. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts 
to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this cause, God gave them up unto vile affections. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another. Men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meet. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. Being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God that they which commit such things are worthy of death, Not only do the same thing, but have pleasure in them that do them. Do you see this scary decline? They want their lust. They want their sins. God gives them over to it. They become reprobate in mind, vile in affection, dark in their minds, given over to themselves and their own ways. But it's not enough. Then you notice how bad they get. It lists all those sins. It becomes who they are, their regular way of life. That's not enough. Verse 32 And then they start to infect others into the same dry rot. That's why we're warned in the scriptures often to be careful about the leaven of this world. And to be careful about being around the leaven of heaven. Paul's stern command, therefore, back in Romans chapter 6, verse 14. Paul has this stern command. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. Sin shall have no dominion over you. And what is it for sin to have dominion over you? To violate God's law. To transgress God's law. And then to just get worse and worse in that iniquity unto iniquity. More and more rebellion against God. More and more anarchy. And seeing that develop in others around you. Don't let sin have dominion over you, he's warning. Because it'll just keep taking and infecting you more and more. Because of what can happen from that, verse 16. Know ye not that to whom ye yield your servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or obedience unto righteousness. Now that's what we're going to study again tonight. Give yourselves to obedience unto righteousness, righteousness unto holiness. But the danger is if you give yourself to sin, you obey it unto death. You become its servant. It rules over you. It rules within you unto death. 
You know, there are Christians who will trust are in the Lord unto life, and they battle with these things, but they don't really seek to have victory and conquer them, and they go to their death. We trust going to heaven, but leaving a testimony of death behind them and to their families, leaving a whole bunch of garbage and death and muck for others to clean up and try not to pick up and take for themselves. You can, you're supposed to have an abundant life in this world, not live as if you're dead. The quote in our bulletin this morning, in God's Providence by William Secker in The Consistent Christian, Though sinful thoughts will rise, yet they must not reign. Brings to mind what Elder Renner has quoted often from Charles Spurgeon. Uh, the sins will come knocking on your door, seeking to stay with you, but you don't have to let them in and give them a room. Now, it's helpful for us to remember, we're going to be tempted. That's why we're told to pray, lead me not into temptation, deliver me from evil. You know, it's a battle in this life. Spiritual growth is going to be battling the old man. We're always going to be tempted. We're always going to have sins. And the things we've grown up with, the things that have particularly been part of who we were, are always going to be the most dangerous there to grab us back because of that old habit. We're going to see tonight, you have to just keep building the new habits, putting on the new man, putting on more of Christ. But don't think that you can mess around with your former old man and ways of life. It's just waiting to suck you back in. Be careful. Those sinful thoughts will rise, yes, yet they must not reign. And Paul is warning you, they can and they will, if you start to give over to them. Iniquity unto iniquity. Beware of carelessness with sin. It will constantly take you over. Christians are not immune to sin's infection. We always need to kill the old man and put on more of the new in Christ. I'll give you the example of a warning. Leviticus 18, 21 to 23. We're not going to turn there, but I remind you as we were preaching through it, the message for you was this. Sexual sins always sink lower. It's true of all sins, but... This sexual sin especially, which is why when God calls us to holiness as his will in Thessalonians, the opposite given is fornication. We're told by Paul in the New Testament, flee fornication. And so often the sins related to idolatry was fornication. What did they do with the golden calves? They were rising up to play and dancing. The noise that uh, Joshua was hearing was probably the kind of thing we don't want to talk about. In Leviticus 18, we saw that uh, there were all these other sexual sins that they were warned about. But as one would give them, there seemed to be an order and development of, if you don't pay attention to me here, if you don't pay attention to me here, at some point, this is where you're going to get, which is what we see in Romans chapter 1, if you pay attention. Sexual sins always sink lower. They can lead to idolatrous infanticide, homosexuality, and bestiality. Don't give yourself to sin. Don't give yourself to sinful habits. You might be given over. 
might be taken over. Choosing to sin is the beginning of creating a sinful lifestyle which will infect your mind and body with more sin. Getting more power over you and corruption within and without your life. It is a power with deathly effects. See sin for what it is, a horrible master. It'll put you down and it will pull you apart one body member at a time until you find yourself crawling behind it on your stubs kissing its feet in chains and darkness and dry rot unaware of how far gone you have gone and oblivious to how much you have lost and how lost you are Take your temptations to Christ and his cross to be saved from sins and sinning, praying, lead me not into temptation, because sinning sucks you in to sinking in serving sin. And that's the message for you this morning. Don't let iniquity take you into iniquity, unto iniquity. Sinning sucks you in to sinking in serving sin. Before I pray, I notice that our brother has just walked up to the building and the way he seems to be behaving is not unlike what we experienced in Sabbath class a few weeks ago. Be ready for it. I'll lead us if we have to deal with it. Let us pray. Lord in heaven, we do thank you for this time together and pray the prayer you taught us to pray. We highlight this prayer and cry out for us, each one of us, Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We pray in Jesus' name, and all your people said, Amen.